helped with something. Lord, we love you so much. And thank you for your Bible. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, we're here in John chapter number 4. And we're towards the end of John chapter number 4. Uh, we just dealt, like we said, with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well there. Just to kind of catch you up on what's going on, if you look at John chapter 4 and look at verse number 3, the Bible says, He, referring to Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now if you remember, Jesus Christ was leaving Judea, and He was traveling on His way to Galilee. I want you to get this because it's an important part of the, of the message tonight. And on his way to Galilee, if you look at verse 4, in John chapter number 4, in verse 4, it says, And he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, through Samaria. So John 4.3 says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and on his way, uh, and he must needs go through Samaria. And in Samaria is where we have the account of that famous story of the woman at the well. And uh, there's where he had his encounter with her. Now we're catching up. We're catching up the story uh, where he's now continuing his journey into into Galilee. If you look there in verse forty-three, it says, "Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee." Now look at verse number forty-four, and the Bible tells us why was it Jesus started this uh, started this? Why was it he left Judea in the first place and he went to Galilee? Look what it says. It says, "For Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own country." So Jesus was from. Uh, from Judea, obviously we know that he was born in Bethlehem, and the Bible says that one of the reasons, and, and there's other reasons, John the Baptist was cast into prison and, and things like that. But one of the reasons that Jesus left Judea is because of, he makes this statement. He says Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own country. Now you say, well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is this: that. Jesus was making this observation, if a prophet, or, which is another term for a preacher, was in his own country, pe- pe- you know, it's very simple, people wouldn't honor him. I mean, Jesus was from Judea, and people were not being receptive to him, you know, and we see that uh, today, in, in life today, you know, it's, it's uh, I hear all the time, uh, guys will say things like this, you know, they'll, they'll show their wife, or, or their wife will show her husband uh, something from the Bible. And, and the husband won't be receptive to it. Or the wife won't be receptive to it. You know, if the spouse is a new Christian, and maybe the wife or the spouse was a, uh, is more mature Christian, they'll show them something from the Bible, and the, and the spouse won't be receptive to it. But then they'll come to church, and the preacher will preach the exact same thing. And they'll be like, oh, wow, I never saw that. You know, and why is that? Because the prophet had no honor in his own. Um, because sometimes when we're so close to people, you know, uh, as far as family or people we know, it's just harder to receive something from them. And that's the problem that Jesus was finding in this. You know, uh, before we started this church, my wife and I attended Fellowship Baptist Church in Vacaville, California. And uh, we didn't leave their mat or anything. They sent us out, biblically sent us out to start this church here in Sacramento. But something that I thought was very uh, funny, or that fit this, this uh, verse a lot for our, past, our pastor there, when we were members at Fellowship Baptist Church, Pastor Mark Lewis, is that Pastor Mark Lewis grew up in Vacaville, California. And when he took on the pastorate there at Fellowship Baptist Church, the church was very small. It was in a lot of debt, and there was just a lot of problems. It was a dying church, and they had maybe, um, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 members. Now, you might say, man, 20, 25 members. I'd love Verity Baptist Church to have 20, 25 members. And you're right. I would, too. The difference is that we're a brand new church, <laughs> you know, that's starting out. You know, when we have 20, 25 members, that'll be, a, you know, we're, we're going up in the world. The church he was taking on had been running hundreds before, and it had just gone down and diminished. They had buildings and property. And uh, Pastor Mark Lewis took, took uh, very, uh, Fellowship Baptist Church there in Vacaville, and in 
10 years of being the pastor, uh, the, the church steadily grew from an average attendance of 20, 25, to now they have an average Sunday attendance of over 400. You know, and he did, he did great there. Now, you, you say, you know, is Verity Baptist Church going to do that in 10 years? I don't know. You know, I, I would hope so. Now, things were a little easier for him, obviously, because he had a building already. <laughs> you know, he just had to fill it up. We, we have to go get a building one of these days, hopefully. But, um, but, he had, but the point I'm making, he had this... Now, Vacaville, if you're familiar with Vacaville, it's not a very large city. It's not as big as Sacramento. I mean, it's not a small city either, but it's not very large. And, uh, you know, the, he, he grew this church from... You know, the Lord used him to grow this church from 20, 25 to an average uh, Sunday attendance of over 400. And he has this, this huge crowd of people coming to hear him, week, uh, hear him preach on a weekly basis. But you know what the funny thing is? That his family, who lives in Vacaville, refuses to come to his church. And they actually go to another Baptist church in Fairfield, which is just the, 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 um, the city over. And they, you know, a fundamental Baptist church, you know, for whatever it's worth, soul winning church, King James Bible, and they're very active there, and they go soul winning there, and um, they just, for whatever reason, you know, decided that they don't want to be under the ministry of their, you know, cousin or whatever, you know, uh, nephew, or whatever it is. And, and when I hear that, you know, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that they don't like what he preaches, because he, he's the type of preacher that's just going to open the Bible, read the verses, and preach the truth, and that might go against, you know, whatever they have going on in their lives, so they're obviously not receptive to that. But when I, when I see that testimony, you know, and I, and I, and I read this verse, and I, I think of Pastor Mark, because Jesus himself had that problem. You know, he was from Judea, and his own brothers weren't believing it. It wasn't until he died and was resurrected that his own brothers believed on him. You know, and he had this problem, and Jesus said, hey, I'm from Judea, but he said, I'm going to go to Galilee, and here's why. He says, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own country. And you know, that's, that's very true. And uh, you shouldn't allow that to discourage you. If maybe you're trying to witness to a family member, or someone you know very well, and they don't take you very seriously. You know, they didn't take Jesus very seriously. And Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. But, um, but I want you to get that, that. That's the reason he's leaving Judea, and he's going to Galilee. Let me show you a verse, if you go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 13. And I'll show you another, another account when Jesus uses the same terminology the same phrasing there. And look at Matthew chapter number 13 and look at verse 54. Now this is not the same account, but he uses the same wording. Matthew chapter number 13 and look at verse 54. Matthew chapter number 13 and look at verse 54. The Bible says, And he was coming, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues, insomuch that they were astonished and said, now look at what he said. He said, the Bible says, he came into his own country. So this is, where Je- this is Jesus Christ's hometown. It says he taught them in their synagogues, insomuch that they were astonished and said, here's what they say, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? When... Whence then hath this man all these things? And they, and they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. And you know what? Let me, let me look at this real quick, because I printed the verses in my sermon, and the red lettering did not print out. My ink must not be... So it says, uh, verse 57, And they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto him, A prophet is not without 
honor, save in his own country and in his own house, and he did not many mighty works there. And look what it says, because of their unbelief. I want you to see that. They didn't believe in him, and the Bible says that he couldn't do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Did you see that? Now they're looking at him and they're saying, hey, you know, isn't, you can go back to John. And they're saying, isn't, isn't this the carpenter's son? And obviously we know that he wasn't the carpenter's son, he was the son of God. Uh, Joseph was just his stepfather. But, um, and it said, you know, isn't his mother here with us? And aren't all his brothers here with us? And aren't all his sisters here with us? And by the way, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ, and there's another new sermon, but just because we read it, Jesus Christ did have siblings. You know, Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as some would like us to believe. Matthew 13.55 says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas, four brethren, and his sisters, are they not all uh, with us? So, according to the Bible, he had brothers, he had sisters. Mary and Joseph obviously had, were married and had children after Jesus Christ was born. But what I want you to see is verse 58 says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now I want to just show you something from the Bible. If you go with me please to the book of Luke chapter number 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter number 9. And I kind of want to just briefly, I don't have time to really develop it, but I want to just briefly teach you a principle in the Bible Luke chapter number 9, and look at verse number 5. And actually, while you're turning to Luke, I'm going to read a verse for you in Genesis chapter number 6, in verse 3. We were recently in Genesis chapter number 6 on Sunday night. We didn't really deal with this verse. But Genesis chapter number 6, in verse 3, the Bible says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also... That for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 6 and verse 3, God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Now are you in Luke chapter number 9? Look at verse 5. Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples here, and he says, And whosoever will not receive you when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Do you see that? Let me read that verse again. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Now let me read for you a verse. You don't have to turn there. You can go back to John chapter number 4. In Titus chapter number 3 and verse 10, the Bible says this, A man that is inherited after the first and second admonition reject. Let me read that verse for you again. Titus 3.10 says, A man that is inherited after the first and second admonition reject. So, the Bible teaches this principle, and I showed you a few verses there just to kind of give you the idea. This principle of giving up on people. You know, I know that sounds like a horrible thing. You say, you know, Pastor Jimenez, would you ever just give up on somebody? Would you ever just stop trying to reach somebody? Would you ever? And look, according to the Bible, it is very biblical to just give up on somebody. The Bible says that God gives up on people all the time. Genesis 6.3, like I read. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Now, if you remember, in Genesis chapter number 6, this statement is made just briefly before God decides to destroy the entire world with the flood. And God is letting us know, hey, there comes a time, He says, I give everybody ample opportunity. My Spirit will deal with you and work with you, but God says there comes a time where my Spirit is not going to strive with man. 
And in Luke there, he was telling his disciples, he said, hey, if they don't receive you, then you know what? Just dust the, uh, just uh, shake off the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. He's saying, what, what are you showing? When you take the, 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 when you shake the dust off your feet, what you're showing is that, hey, I tried, I came to you, I tried to give the gospel, you didn't receive it, and you know what? I'm just going to move on and go somewhere else. And the Bible teaches that. And the Bible tells us very uh, plainly, a man that is an heretic after the first or second admonition rejects. So you know what? When we go soul winning, we knock on somebody's door, and we try to give them the gospel, and somebody who's a heretic who doesn't believe in the Bible, you know, we'll give them, you know, we'll show them one thing from the Bible, and if they say, I don't believe that, and then we'll show them a second thing from the Bible, and if they say, I don't believe that, then you know, according to the Bible, we just reject them. We just say, alright, well you have a good day, and we'll move on. You know, a lot of times we get sucked into this, and I do it all the time, we get sucked into this trap where we want to just debate with people, you know, and spend an hour and a half debating with a Mormon or debating with a Jehovah's Witness about, and I've done it many times, um, you know, about all these doctrinal issues and going through the Bible and proving all these things. But according to the Bible, you know, there comes a time where you just kind of give up on somebody. Where you just kind of move on. And that's not saying that, you know, that they might not get saved in the future. Uh, but, but, you need, but there comes a time where we just stop dealing with somebody. With, with a certain individual. And, and you know, God, and I don't have time to develop this either, but the Bible says that God rejects people too. And God will stop. Uh, and the, the difference between when I may give up on you and the difference between when God gives up on you is that when I give up on you, you might have another chance. When God gives up on you, you have no more chance. The Bible says that God rejects people and He calls those reprobates. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 1 if you're interested. But the principle I'm trying to show you is this. There comes a time... When Jesus Christ is rejected enough, or not received, that He says, you know what, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And that's exactly what's happening when Jesus decides to go into Galilee. He leaves Judea, and He goes into Galilee, and the reason He says, hey, I'm leaving here, because a prophet had no honor in his own country. Now let me show you why Jesus likes Galilee. If you're in John chapter number 4, look at verse number uh, 45. John chapter number 4, look at verse 45. That was his. And when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him. So they, they were glad. They received him, having seen, look what it says, all the things that he did at, what does that say? Jerusalem. At the feast. For they also went unto the feast. Now, Jerusalem, you may or may not know this, is where? In, in Judea. Right? So, the Bible says that the Galileans went to Judea. Jesus Christ was in Judea, and obviously the people who live in Judea were in Judea. He did all these works. The Judeans, you know, weren't that impressed, rejected it. But the Galileans, they received it. So Jesus Christ said, you know what? I'm going to go to Galilee. I'm going to go where people are going to be willing to hear the truth. Look at verse 46, John 4, 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee. Now there's history here. Because look what the verse says. He says, He came again into Cana of Galilee, where He made water, wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So the Bible says He went back to Cana of Galilee, and here's the history that Jesus Christ has with Cana of Galilee. He, that's where he made, he made water into wine. Do you remember in John, we preached an entire sermon on this, when Jesus Christ made water into wine, the Bible says that that was the very first miracle that He ever performed when He was at the wedding and they ran. We preached a whole sermon on that. I don't know if you were here or not, um, but... Uh, you know, we proved from the Bible how the wine that Jesus made was not alcohol and, uh, and how alcohol is of the devil. And if you're interested in that, you can go on our website and, and uh, listen to that sermon. It's on the website. Uh, 
But 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 the, what I want you to understand is Cana of Galilee is a place where Jesus performed his first miracle. And then the Bible says that here, um, look at verse 54. John 4.54, and we're going to get into the miracle, but look what it says. The last verse in John chapter number 4, it says, This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when He was come out of Judea into Galilee. So according to the Bible, Jesus Christ performed His very first miracle in Cana of Galilee. Wouldn't you say that's a very special thing? That Jesus would give this one city the privilege of performing His very first miracle there? But not only that, the Bible says that He performed His second miracle at Cana of Galilee as well. Now is that a coincidence? I mean, Jesus is traveling from Judea to Cana of Galilee to Samaria. He's traveling all over the place. Is it a coincidence, do you think, that Jesus Christ would perform His first and second miracle in the same place, Galilee? And the thing is, it's not a, it's not a coincidence. Because He said, I'm leaving Judea because those people won't honor me. Those people won't respect me. Those people won't receive me. But as soon as He comes into uh, Galilee, what does the Bible say? It says, the Galileans received Him having seen all the things that He did at Jerusalem. So they saw the same testimony. They got the same testimony that the Judeans got. But when they got it in Galilee, they said, Hey, we're glad Jesus is here. That's very interesting, isn't it? Let me give you an example of what a Galilean is. Or how the Galileans were. Because the Bible doesn't just... God doesn't just put things in the Bible just to fill up space. He puts things there for a reason, and He wants to show us something. And look at the last part of verse 46. It says, And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. That's where Jesus is. Look at verse 54. Oh, I'm sorry. Look at verse uh, 46. Uh, well, let's read 46 again. Jesus came again to King of Galilee, where He made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick. So the Bible says there was a certain nobleman. And now that word nobleman lets us know that what? He wasn't a servant. He wasn't just, you know, a, a poor person or someone. He, a nobleman is someone of, you know, power. A nobleman is someone of money. A nobleman is someone who's successful. Now let me just, let's just make some observations, uh, observations of the miracle here. That Jesus worked. This man, well look at verse 47. It says, when he heard, talking about the nobleman, that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this nobleman goes to Jesus and says, Hey, my son is sick. Will you please come with me to heal him? Now, a few things we've got to observe, and I want you to note of this, is that a nobleman is going to... You're going to have to be humble to ask for something. That's why it takes a humble person to ask for a prayer request. That's why it takes a humble person to ask uh, God to do something for them. Because someone who's in who's asking for something, understands one thing, that they're in need of something. And this person, is very interesting, that power and money do not disqualify you from being in need. This person was a nobleman, I don't know necessarily what that meant, I don't know what his position was, I don't know what his business was, but for whatever reason, the Bible makes it clear that he was a nobleman, and that, that lets us know that he had some sort of power, that lets us know that he had some sort of money, that lets us know that he had some sort of stature in society there, but even this man needed God, even this man needed Jesus Christ. Do you know this, that even a nobleman's son can get sick? Do you know that even a rich person's son can get sick? Do you know that even a governor's son or a president's son can get sick? And we, we have this, people have this mentality. And you know, I'll tell you the honest truth. And I'm not trying to sound weird when I say this, but, you know, we, we go so many uh, 
hours upon hours every week and we try to go as much as we can and as much as our schedule uh, because you know I'm working a full-time job and commuting as much as my schedule allows me to but I've noticed this when I go to what are considered nicer neighborhoods people are less receptive you know when I spend you know I could I could literally spend four hours six hours in like a, a what would be considered a nice neighborhood and maybe talk to one person I've literally gone soul winning in a nicer neighborhood for six hours and not talk to anybody I mean, just no one is even willing to have a conversation with me. Like, I invite them to church and everybody's, no thank you, no thank you, not interested, whatever. And here's why. People who have money don't feel like they have need of anything. They don't necessarily need God in their minds. You know, but we'll go to, like, the neighborhoods that maybe aren't as nice and get people saved all the time. Why? Because those people, maybe they're just a little more humble. Maybe they just understand that they need God. Maybe they understand that there's something in their life that is missing and they need. But what I like about the story is that this nobleman understood, hey, my son is sick, Jesus, I know he can perform miracles, I know he came from heaven, and he said, hey, I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to see if Jesus will come with me to heal my son. He went to Jesus because he realized that he had a need. And when people come to Jesus, it's because they realize that they have a need. They realize they have a void in their life, and they need something, and they need God. And that's what this man was doing. But look at verse 47, because I want you to see this. Let's read it again. It says, When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him, and besought him that he would come... Look what he said. What did he besought him? That he would come down and heal his son... For he was at the point of death. Look at verse 47. And it, uh, verse 48, I'm sorry. And said unto him, verse number 48, Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Now, it's very interesting. He asked Jesus to come heal his son. And how does Jesus respond? It's kind of a harsh statement, isn't it? Look at verse 48 again. It says, Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye, shall, ye will not believe. So Jesus, instead of like having compassion on him, or instead of saying, Yeah, I'll go down with you, he doubts his faith. He says, Look, unless you see a sign or a wonder, you're not even going to believe in me. But look at what, how the nobleman responds. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't say, Yeah, you're right. Or he doesn't even try to say, like, No, you're, you're not, that's not true, I have a lot of faith. He, says, he just says, Verse 49, the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. So, so he comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I have a need. I have a son who's sick, he's at the point of death, I need you to come down and heal him. And Jesus says, you don't even have faith. If you, unless you see a sign or a wonder, you're not even going to believe in who I am. And he doesn't argue with him, but he says, he says, okay, whatever, you're right, but just come down anyway. You see that? I mean, Jesus doesn't acknowledge the statement that the nobleman makes. And the nobleman doesn't acknowledge the statement that Jesus makes. And the nobleman just says, um, The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child dies. So he says, he says hey, Look, it doesn't matter if I need a sign. It doesn't matter if I don't uh, have enough faith. Or I, he's like, Can you just come down and heal my son? You know, and if you really let the Bible have some flesh there, you can almost hear the voice, you know, of a father whose son is ready to die, and he feels like he has the opportunity to save him. And he says, look, it, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to disagree with you. Can you just come heal my son? That's what he says to him. Look at verse 50. 
Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Now think about this. What did the nobleman besought Jesus for? What did he ask him for? Well, if you... That, that's correct. That's true. He asked him to heal some. But what did he say? Look at verse 48. Or verse 47. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto, unto him and besought him, look what it says, that he would come down. He asked Jesus, Can you please come with me to my house to heal my son? What does Jesus respond? Look at verse 50. Jesus unto, saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son live. What's the difference? He says, Jesus, can you come with me? Jesus says, just go. He's healed. And this is really the difference. This is, this is just how humanity works. We want to see something. See, he wanted Jesus to come with him. Because if Jesus was coming with him, he would physically have somebody walking down the way with him, and he'd be able to physically see Jesus go to his son and heal him. But what did Jesus say? He said, just go thy way. He said, just go. He said, thy son liveth. Now here's the difference. We want to see something with our eyes. Jesus says, just trust my word. And that's how the Bible works. Jesus says, just trust my word, this Bible. And we say, no, we want to see something with our eyes. No, we want you to come down physically with us. No, we want you to just come and heal our son. But he says, no, 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 just go thy way. But look at verse 51. How did he respond? And as he was now going down, well, I'm sorry, verse 50, we didn't finish the verse. It says, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And look what it says, The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Now, it's very specific what the Bible says. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. So does it say that he believed in Jesus? Does it say that he asked Jesus Christ to save him? It just says that he believed what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Go thy way, thy son liveth. So the man believed... He, here's the thing. People make the statement. I don't feel like I have faith. And this man didn't have faith. I mean, Jesus called him on that. He said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But when Jesus said, go thy way, thy son liveth, the Bible says, the man had just enough faith to believe the words that Jesus said. He said, okay, if Jesus says that he, my son is healed, I'm just going to go home. And I'm not going to be. I'm not going to uh, argue with him. I'm not going to try to force him to come. I'm not going to try to uh, make him do something. I'm just going to believe his word, and I'm going to go to my house. And look, look at verse fifty-one. And as he was now going down, well, before we just just think about this. The Bible says, as he was going down, could you imagine that trip? I mean, this guy is a nobleman. This guy is used to making things happen. You know, you're usually not successful unless you make things happen. You know what I'm saying? He's used to having people obey him. He's used to having people listen to him. He's obviously someone who normally when he talks, people listen. And he tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, I want you to heal my son. I want you to come with me. Jesus says, just go. Your son lives. And as he's going down the street, you know, he's got to be thinking to himself, and did I do the right thing? You know, he's probably thinking to himself, did I give up too fast? He's probably thinking to himself, I told my wife I was going to come back with Jesus. And I'm coming back home and I have no Jesus. I mean, all these things would be going through your mind, wouldn't it? Have you ever doubted yourself? Have you ever, have you ever asked God 
to show you something, to come with you, to do something physically, and then you found in the Word that He says, hey, just trust what I say, just trust my Word, and as you're trusting in that Word, and as you're trusting in that, you know, in your daily life, as you're, we, we preached on Sunday, that our life is a walk with God, that was a couple weeks ago, uh, that as we go through life, we walk with God, and really this represents, I mean, this could represent your salvation. You know, many times we'll ask Jesus, hey, will you save us? And He says, yes. And He saves us. And the only thing we have to base our salvation is His Word. And as you're traveling through life, and as this man was traveling down the road, all he had for assurance was His Word. All he had uh, to give Him comfort was His Word. All he had to prove that His Son would be healed was this, His Word. And Jesus said, you don't have any faith unless you see signs and wonders. He didn't argue with Him. He said, he pretty much said, you're right, just come down with me anyway. But he mustered up enough faith to believe Jesus' word, and as he was walking down the road of life, all he had to give him assurance was what? Jesus' word. Was what Jesus said. Look at verse uh, 51. And he's, he was now going down. His servant met him. And told him, saying, Thy son liveth. And this is very interesting. This is probably the most, the, my favorite part of this passage. It says, Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And himself believed, and his whole house this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when He was come out of Judea into Galilee. Now, let me just give you a few thoughts on this. You know, I, I deal with people all the time who don't believe. And people who are atheists or don't believe in God, here's, here's the, the main statement I hear people say. I've got to be able to see something before I can believe. But see, that's not how God works. The Bible says that, um, but without faith... It is impossible to please Him, referring to God. Impossible to please God. For he that cometh to Him must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The Bible says that it is impossible to please God without faith. And here's how God works. Which is different from our world. Our world says, if I can see something, then I will believe. And God works this way. When you believe, I will show you something. Do you see that? He came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I need you to come with me to heal my son. Jesus rebukes him and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. But at the end of the story, he got his sign and he got his wonder. He got his miracle and God allowed him to see that Jesus was actually God. But here's the thing, it only came after he believed. Do you see that? He initially believed God's word and as he traveled down the way, he got not only assurance from the Bible that God was real, not only assurance from the word that, that, that Jesus would heal his son, but as a man, as a servant met him, he was able to find evidence that Jesus was truly who he said he was. But here's when the evidence came, when he exercised belief. And people say to me, I can't believe till I, till I see something. And, and sadly, I think to myself, then you're going to die and go to hell. Because God does not work that way. God works in the way where you exercise belief and He makes Himself real to you. You exercise belief and then He proves Himself. And here's the thing, when He proves Himself, you can't prove it. Could this, you know, this nobleman could say to all of his family, and he did, and they believed him, but he could tell everybody, hey, you are not going to believe it. He's, he got healed at the seventh hour. At the seventh hour is when Jesus said he would be healed. And 
See, God, you, you know, we, we sing this song, um, uh, there's a song that says, you ask me how I know, you know, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today, he walks with me and talks with me along like no way, and, and I love the end, it says, he lives, he lives, um, salvation to impart, and here's what the song says, you ask me how I know he lives, and here's the answer, he lives within my heart. And people ask me, well, how do you know Jesus is real? How do you know Jesus uh, uh, can, can work in your life? And can you prove God to me? And I say, look, I can't prove anything to you. I know that He's real. Why? Because He's made Himself real in my life. I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God perform miracles in my life. I've seen God do things in my life. But I can't prove it to you. I can't show it to you. Because He only made Himself real to me when I took the initial faith. And you may say this, I love the stories that have to do with miracles in the Bible because I don't know if you know this, but we serve a miracle working God. God is still in the business of miracles. People say, oh, miracles were only for the Bible days. God works miracles today. But here's the thing. Miracles are not given in order to produce belief. Miracles are the reward of belief. Do you understand that? People say, if I saw a miracle, I would believe. And God says, if you believed... I perform a miracle. See, you say, I want a miracle in my life, and God says, if you would initially just put some faith in it, maybe we could do something. But the problem is that our lack of faith, and look, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, I preach an entire sermon on why we don't believe in prosperity gospel, and that's not what I'm preaching at all. And I'm not saying that if you just have faith, God's going to you know, give you a million dollars and heal your cancer. Obviously, sometimes God puts us through things because He needs us to go through those things. And, um, but, I, but I'm telling you this, God can work miracles. But God does not work without faith. Do you remember when we read in Matthew there, and he said that he could not do many mighty works because of what? Their unbelief. Look at verse 54. We're done. It's a very very short sermon, but I want you to understand it. Here's the conclusion. Look at verse 54. It says, This is again the second miracle that Jesus did. When he was come out of Judea. And I, I think it's funny how the Bible makes this very clear. It says, This is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was... Look what it says. Come out of Judea into Galilee. Why does he take the time to make that point again? Here's the point. Jesus Christ says, so far in his ministry, he's been to two places. Judea, Galilee. He made water into wine. Went back to Judea. He was baptized with John the Baptist. Went back to Galilee. Healed this man's son. Two miracles. And God makes it very, he makes this point at the beginning of the chapter, in the middle of the chapter, and at the end of the chapter, that he was leaving Judea and going to Galilee. Let me, give you, let me just give you two quick examples of different people in, uh, in, in Judea and Galilee. Do you remember in John chapter number 3, Jesus Christ met with Nicodemus? The Bible says Nicodemus was a Pharisee. In John chapter number 4, he met with this nobleman. Now, a nobleman and a Pharisee might be in the same uh, social stature. Would you agree? You know, neither one of them is a servant, neither one of them is out begging. I mean, they're, they're both, you know, successful in their own careers. Nicodemus was from Judea. This nobleman traveled to Galilee, but he obviously had that spirit of Galilee. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Why? Because he was embarrassed. He didn't want people to know that he was going to Jesus. This man, the Bible doesn't tell us that he came by night, so we can take from that that he just came to Jesus. He just started traveling. Now, it might have been night, it might have been day, but when he got to Jesus, he just dealt with Jesus. The Bible tells us Nicodemus made sure to come to him at night. 
Bible says that at the end of the con- well, here's the funny thing. At the end of the conversation, at the end of the story with the nobleman, what does it say? Look at verse fifty-three again. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed. And look what it says. And himself believed. What did Jesus say that he needed to, in order to believe? A sign and a wonder. When did he get the sign and the wonder? When he initially believed in his word. So then the Bible says that he himself believed, and not only himself, but his whole house. So at the end of the story, in John chapter number 4, we see an entire family come to Jesus Christ, believing in him as their Savior. When Jesus finishes his conversation with Nicodemus, do we see any, do we see any statements of Nicodemus getting saved? We do not. Now, that's not to say that Nicodemus didn't get saved. You know... I tend to believe that Nicodemus did get saved. There's no real Bible to prove that. Later on in the Gospels, you see Nicodemus, when Jesus Christ was, being, was, was crucified, we see him appear there and, and do some nice things for Jesus. Uh, so maybe he did get saved, maybe he didn't. But here's the difference. When the nobleman came in contact with Jesus, at the end of the story, he believes. When Nicodemus, the Pharisee, came in contact with Jesus, at the end of the story, we don't know. There's no reaction. See, there's two types of Christians in this world. And they're represented by these two. There's the Judeans, and there's the Galileans. A Judean-type Christian is a type of person that can come to church, that can hear Jesus Christ, the Word, that can be uh, challenged and hear, and hear you know, a sermon like this or whatever, and they'll leave here and nothing will change. And a Galilean is the type of person who will hear the exact same sermon. Remember, they said that they saw the same works that Jesus did in Judea. They can hear the exact same sermon. They can hear the exact same illustrations. They can hear the exact same Jesus. The exact same word. And there will be a difference in their attitude. And here's the difference. One receives Jesus and accepts Him and is excited for Him. The other one is more interested in whatever. And here's the the problem. Jesus leaves Judea to go to Galilee. Jesus says, I'm not getting a reaction out of these Judeans. But the Galileans are willing. I mean, good night. On his way to Galilee, he stopped by Samaria and a whole town gets saved. With the woman at the well. You remember, she went and got all those men and they all believed and they besought him to be there two days and he was just preaching the gospel. I mean, on his way to Galilee, people are getting saved. And Jesus says, I'm gonna, I love Judah, I love Judea, I love Bethlehem, I love Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to go where people are interested in what, in the miracles I can do in their life, in the work I can do in their life. And I've got to ask you this question, what are you? Because in my life, I want God to look down at me personally and say, that's someone that I can always perform a miracle for. Because he's always willing to believe. He's always willing to receive me. He's always willing to hear the word. He's always willing. I don't want God to look at, I don't want God to look at me and think, man, Pastor Jimenez sure reminds me of Judea. Nice people, but weren't very receptive. I don't want God to look, I want God to look down at Verity Baptist Church and say, man, that church is just full of those people. Like in Galilee, when I show up, they receive it. When I come to church, they get it. When I, when the Holy Spirit of God would show up in a service, they would take it and say, hey, I want that. But you got to ask this question, what are you? Because Nicodemus might have received it, but he wasn't very excited about it, and we don't even know that he did. But this man got called out, got put on the spot. Jesus Christ said, you're not even going to believe unless you see signs and wonders. And he said, well, I've just got enough faith to believe what you said, though. Uh, one of my favorite stories, which is not, it, it's, 
you know, we'll deal with it at another point. But there's another time when, when Jesus is dealing with a man and to heal, I believe it's a son too, I can't remember right off the top of my head. And, and they're dealing with the same subject about belief. And the man makes these beautiful, the, a beautiful statement. He says, help thou mine unbelief. He says, Jesus, can you help me believe so that you can heal my son? And I, I just want to challenge you tonight. I know it wasn't very deep. We went kind of deep on Sunday night, so I wanted to give you something light on Wednesday. It wasn't very deep, but I want you to keep this in mind. Jesus will leave Judea to go somewhere where he can work. And I would hate for Jesus to show up at your doorstep and say, there's nothing I can do here. They're not receptive. They're not interested. And move somewhere else. Because Jesus is a miracle working God. Jesus can do something. And look, look, I'm not saying that, that you know, I've got my life all put together and I, that I don't have problems. But I, I look at how God has blessed me, you know, giving me a beautiful wife that uh, loves God and loves the Bible, giving me great children. You know, he's blessed us with his house. And look, I'm not saying that it's all about material things. And, and you know, he gives us joy. And, he, and I, look at, uh, I look at other people my same age, and they got drug issues and alcohol and, 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 and STDs and they got all these issues. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if these people would just come to Jesus, he could help them. He could help them be successful. But here's the thing, they don't want to. <laughs> They think the world is more fun. They think the world has more pleasure. They think the world... And, and God says, hey, I'd love to do for you what I've done for others, but if you're not receptive... And I'm just going to head on over to Galilee, because I know they're receptive, and I'm just begging you. Be a Galilee. Be someone who's just willing and ready to do what... Because here's the thing. When God, Jesus told this man, go thy way, he had to go that way. He had to go. There's a time when you're traveling and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if Jesus is going to keep His word. You know, we're praying, uh, and I appreciate the prayer request for Verity Baptist Church that, that it would grow. And look, I believe with all my heart that this church is going to grow and it's going to be great and God's going to bless it. But... But I'm excited for this time, you know why? Because there's got to be a time where you're just kind of walking by faith. There's got to be a time where maybe you're not seeing much. And look, we're seeing great. I mean, I love the, the fact that you're here tonight. You're the most important people I could be speaking to right now. That's great. And I love that. But, there, but, but there's got to be a time in your life where you're just walking by faith. And this man, when he traveled back home after he left Jesus, there was a time when he was traveling and all he had for assurance, all he had to comfort himself, all he had was the words he heard, he's heard Jesus speak. And you've got to have that in your life. And that's the type of person that God will perform a miracle for. The type of person that would just take Jesus at his word. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I need God to make himself real to me. He will make himself real to you when you exercise faith. But until you get to that point, his hands are tied. And let's just, let's just be the people, the type of people that they had in Galilee. Let's be the type of people where Jesus Christ would not say of us, man, they're not honoring me, they're not receiving me, they're not interested in me. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you, Father, for your word.